Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading from The Wonder Book by Nathaniel Hawthorne, The Golden Apples. But such an intolerably big giant, a giant as tall as a mountain, so vast a giant that the clouds rested about his midst like a girdle, and hung like a hoary beard from his chin, and flitted before his huge eyes, so that he could neither see Hercules nor the golden cup in which he was voyaging. And most wonderful of all, the giant held up his great hands and appeared to support the sky, which, so far as Hercules could discern through the clouds, was resting upon his head. This really does seem almost too much to believe. Meanwhile, the bright cup continued to float onward and finally touched the strand. Just then, a breeze wafted away the clouds from before the giant's visage, and Hercules beheld it, with all its enormous features, eyes, each of them as big as yonder lake, a nose a mile long, and a mouth of the same width. It was a countenance terrible from its enormity of size, but disconsolate and weary, even as you may see the faces of many people nowadays, who are compelled to sustain burdens above their strength. What the sky was to the giant, such are the cares of earth to those who let themselves be weighed down by them. And whenever men undertake what is beyond the just measure of their abilities, they encounter precisely such a doom as had befallen this poor giant. Poor fellow. He had evidently stood there a long while. An ancient forest had been growing and decaying around his feet, and oak trees of six or seven centuries old had sprung from the acorn and forced themselves between his toes. The giant now looked down from the far height of his great eyes, and perceiving Hercules roared out, in a voice that resembled thunder, proceeding out of the cloud that had just flitted away from his face. "'Who are you down at my feet there? And whence do you come in that little cup?' "'I am Hercules,' thundered back the hero, in a voice pretty nearly or quite as loud as the giant's own, "'and I am seeking for the garden of the Hesperides.' "'Ho, ho, ho, ho!' roared the giant, in a fit of immense laughter. "'That is a wise adventure, truly!' "'And why not?' cried Hercules, getting a little angry at the giant's mirth. "'Do you think I am afraid of the dragon with a hundred heads?' Just at this time, while they were talking together, some black clouds gathered about the giant's middle and burst into a tremendous storm of thunder and lightning, causing such a pother that Hercules found it impossible to distinguish a word. Only the giant's immeasurable legs were to be seen, standing up into the obscurity of the tempest, and now and then a momentary glimpse of his whole figure mantled in a volume of mist— he seemed to be speaking most of the time, but his big, deep, rough voice chimed in with the reverberations of the thunderclaps and rolled away over the hills like them. Thus, by talking out of season, the foolish giant expended an incalculable quantity of breath to no purpose, for the thunder spoke quite as inintelligibly as he. At last, the storm swept over as suddenly as it had come, and there again was the clear sky, the weary giant holding it up, 
and the pleasant sunshine beaming over his vast height and illuminating it against the backdrop of the sullen thunderclouds. So far above the shower had been his head that not a hair of it was moistened by the raindrops. When the giant could see Hercules still standing on the seashore, he roared out to him anew, I am Atlas, the mightiest giant in the world, and I hold the sky upon my head. So I see, answered Hercules, but can you show me the way to the garden of the Hesperides? What do you want there? asked the giant. I want three of the golden apples, shouted Hercules, for my cousin, the king. There is nobody but myself, quoth the giant, that can go to the garden of the Hesperides and gather the golden apples. If it were not for this little business of holding up the sky, I would make half a dozen steps across the sea and get them for you. You are very kind, replied Hercules. And can you not rest the sky upon a mountain? None of them are quite high enough, said Atlas, shaking his head. But if you were to take your stand on the summit of that nearest one, your head would be pretty nearly on a level with mine. You seem to be a fellow of some strength. What if you should take my burden on your shoulders while I do your errand for you? Hercules, as you must be careful to remember, was a remarkably strong man, and though it certainly required a great deal of muscular power to uphold the sky, yet if any mortal could be supposed capable of such an exploit, he was the one. Nevertheless, it seemed so difficult an undertaking that for the first time in his life, he hesitated. Is the sky very heavy? he inquired. Why, not particularly so at first, answered the giant, shrugging his shoulders. But it gets to be a little burdensome after a thousand years. And how long a time, asked the hero, will it take you to get the olden apples? Oh, that will be done in a few moments, cried Atlas. I shall take ten or fifteen miles at a stride and be at the garden and back again before your shoulders begin to ache. Well then, answered Hercules, I will climb the mountain behind you there and relieve you of your burden. The truth is, Hercules had a kind heart of his own and considered that he should be doing the giant a favor by allowing him this opportunity for a ramble. And besides, he thought it would be still more for his own glory if he could boast of upholding the sky than merely to do so ordinary a thing as conquer a dragon with a hundred heads. Accordingly, without more words, the sky was shifted from the shoulders of Atlas and placed upon those of Hercules. When this was safely accomplished, the first thing the giant did was to stretch himself, and you may imagine what a prodigious spectacle he was then. Next, he slowly lifted one of his feet out of the forest that had grown up around it, and then the other. Then all at once he began to caper and leap and dance for joy at his freedom, flinging himself nobody knows how high into the air, and floundering down again with a shock that made the earth tremble. And then he laughed, ho, 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 with a thunderous roar that echoed from the mountains far and near, as if they and the giant had been so many rejoicing brothers. When his joy had a little subsided, he stepped into the sea, ten miles at the first stride, which brought him mid-leg deep, and ten miles at the second, where the water came just above his knees, and ten miles more at the third, by which he was immersed nearly to his waist. This was the greatest depth of the sea." Hercules watched the giant as he still went onward, for it was really a wonderful sight, this immense human form, more than thirty miles off, half hidden in the ocean, but with his upper half as tall and misty and blue as a distant mountain. At last, the gigantic shape faded entirely out of view. 
and now Hercules began to consider what he should do in case Atlas should be drowned in the sea, or if he were to be stung to death by the dragon with the hundred heads, which guarded the golden apples of the Hesperides. If any such misfortunes were to happen, how could he ever get rid of the sky? And by the by, its weight began already to be a little irksome to his head and shoulders. I really pity the poor giant, thought Hercules. If it wearies me so much in ten minutes, how must it have wearied him in a thousand years? Oh, my sweet little people, you have no idea what the weight there was in the same blue sky, which looks so soft and aerial above our heads. And there, too, was the bluster of wind, and the chill and watery clouds, and the blazing sun, all taking their turns to make Hercules uncomfortable. He began to be afraid that the giant would never come back. He gazed wistfully at the world beneath him, and acknowledged to himself that it was a far happier kind of life to be a shepherd at the foot of a mountain, than to stand on its dizzy summit and bear up the firmament with his might and mane. For, of course, as you will easily understand, Hercules had immense responsibility on his mind, as well as a weight on his head and shoulders. Why, if he did not stand perfectly still and keep the sky immovable, the sun would perhaps be put ajar, or after nightfall, a great many of the stars might be loosened from their places and shower down like fiery rain upon the people's heads. And how ashamed would the hero be if, owning to his unsteadiness beneath its weight, the sky should crack and show a great fissure quite across it? I not, know not how long it was before. To his unspeakable joy, he beheld the huge shape of the giant, like a cloud on the far-off edge of the sea. At his nearer approach, Atlas held up his hand, in which Hercules could perceive three magnificent golden apples, as big as pumpkins, all hanging from one branch. "'I am glad to see you again,' shouted Hercules, when the giant was within hearing. "'So you have got the golden apples?' "'Certainly, certainly,' answered Atlas, "'and very fair apples they are. "'I took the finest that grew on the tree, I assure you. "'Ah, oh, it's a beautiful spot, that garden of the Hesperides. "'Yes, and the dragon with a hundred heads "'is a sight worth any man's seeing. "'After all, you had better have gone for the apples yourself.' "'No matter,' replied Hercules. "'You have had a pleasant ramble "'and done the business as well as I could. "'I heartily thank you for your trouble. "'And now, as I have such a long way to go "'and am rather in haste, "'and as the king, my cousin, "'is anxious to receive the golden apples, "'will you be kind enough "'to take the sky off my shoulders again?' "'Why, as to that,' said the giant, "'chucking the golden apples into the air twenty miles high, or thereabouts, "'and catching them as they came down. "'As to that, my good friend, I consider you a little unreasonable. "'Cannot I carry the golden apples to the king, your cousin, much quicker than you could? "'As his majesty is in such a hurry to get them, I promise you to take my longest strides. "'And besides, I have no fancy for burdening myself with the sky just now.' Here, Hercules grew impatient and gave a great shrug of his shoulders. It being now twilight, you might have seen two or three stars tumble out of their places. Everyone on earth looked upward in a fright, thinking that the sky might fall next. Oh, that will never do, cried giant Atlas with a great roar of laughter. I have not let fall so many stars within the last five centuries. By the time you have stood there as long as I did, you will begin to learn patience. "'What?' shouted Hercules very wrathfully. "'Do you intend to make me bear this burden forever?' "'We will see about that one of these days,' answered the giant. "'At all events, you ought not to complain "'if you have to bear it the next hundred years, "'or perhaps the next thousand. "'I bore it a good while longer in spite of the backache. 
Well, then, after a thousand years, if I happen to feel in the mood, we may possibly shift about again. You are certainly a very strong man and can never have a better opportunity to prove it. Posterity will talk of you, I warrant. Pish, a fig for its talk, cried Hercules with another hitch of his shoulders. Just take the sky upon your head one instant, will you? I want to make a cushion of my lion's skin for the weight to rest upon. It really chafes me, and it will cause unnecessary inconvenience in so many centuries as I am to stand here. Hmm, that's no more than fair, and I'll do it, quoth the giant, for he had no unkind feelings toward Hercules, and was merely acting with a too selfish consideration of his own ease. For just five minutes, then, I'll take back the sky. Only for five minutes, recollect. I have no idea for spending another thousand years as I spent the last. Variety is the spice of life, I say. Oh, the thick-witted old rogue of a giant. He threw down the golden apples and received back the sky from the head and shoulders of Hercules upon his own, where it rightly belonged. And Hercules picked up the three golden apples that were as big or bigger than pumpkins and straightway set out on his journey homeward without paying the slightest heed to the thundering tones of the giant who bellowed after him to come back. Another forest sprang up around his feet and grew ancient there, and again might be seen oak trees of six or seven centuries old that had waxed thus aged betwixt his enormous toes. And there stands the giant to this day, or at any rate, there stands a mountain as tall as he, and which bears his name, and the thunder rumbles about its summit. We may imagine it to be the voice of giant Atlas, bellowing after Hercules. "'Cousin Eustace,' demanded Sweet Fern, who had been sitting at the storyteller's feet with his mouth wide open. "'Exactly how tall was this giant?' "'Oh, Sweet Fern, Sweet Fern!' cried the student. "'Do you think I was there to measure him with a yardstick?' "'Well, if you must know, to a hair's breadth, I suppose he might be from three to fifteen miles straight upward, and that he might have seated himself on Tychonic and had Monument Mountain for a footstool.' "'Dear me!' ejaculated the good little boy, with a consented sort of grunt. "'That was a giant, sure enough. And how long was his little finger?' "'As long as from Tanglewood to the lake,' said Eustace. "'Sure enough, that was a giant,' repeated Sweet Fern, in an ecstasy at the precision of these measurements. "'And how broad, I wonder, were the shoulders of Hercules?' "'That I have never been able to find out,' answered the student. "'But I think they must have been a great deal broader than mine, "'or than of your father's, or almost any shoulders which one sees nowadays.' "'I wish,' whispered Sweet Fern, with his mouth close to the student's ear, "'that you would tell me how big were some of the oak trees "'that grew between the giant's toes.' "'They were bigger,' said Eustace, "'than the great chestnut tree which stands beyond Captain Smith's house.' Eustace, remarked Mr. Pringle, after some deliberation, I find it impossible to express such an opinion of this story as will be likely to gratify in the smallest degree your pride of authorship. Pray let me advise you you never more to meddle with a classical myth. Your imagination is altogether gothic, and will inevitably gothicize everything you touch. The effect is like bedaubing a marble statue with paint. This giant now, how can you have ventured to thrust his huge, disproportioned mass among the seemly outlines of a Grecian fable, the tendency of which to reduce even the extravagant within limits by its pervading elegance? 
I described the giant as he appeared to me, replied the student, rather piqued. And, sir, if you would only bring your mind into such a relation with these fables, as it is necessary in order to remodel them, you would see at once that an old Greek had no more exclusive right to them than a modern Yankee has. They are the common property of the world and of all time. The ancient poets remodeled them at pleasure and held them plastic in their hands. Then why should they not be plastic in my hands as well? Mr. Pringle could not forbear a smile. And besides, continued Eustace, the moment you put any warmth of heart or any passion or affection, any human or divine morality into a classic mold, you make it quite another thing from what it was before. My own opinion is that the Greeks, by taking possession of these legends, which were the immemorial birthright of mankind, and putting them into shapes of indestructible beauty indeed, but cold and heartless, have done all subsequent ages an incalculable injury." "'Which you, doubtless, were born to remedy,' said Mr. Pringle, laughing outright. "'Well, well, go on, but take my advice and never put any of your travesties on paper. "'And as your next effort, what if you should try your hand on some one of the legends of Apollo?' "'Ah, you propose it as an impossibility,' observed the student, after a moment's meditation. "'And to be sure, at first thought, the idea of a gothic Apollo strikes one rather ludicrously. "'But I will turn over your suggestion in my mind.' and do not quite despair of success. During the above discussion, the children, who understood not a word of it, had grown very sleepy and were now sent off to bed. Their drowsy babble was heard ascending the staircase, while a northwest wind roared loudly among the treetops of Tanglewood and played an anthem about the house. Eustace Bright went back to the study and again endeavored to hammer out some verses, but fell asleep between two of the rhymes. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash enchanted library. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash enchanted library. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading. Thank you.